Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. The structure of the economy doesn't support this continued growth. These secondary markets make this private market liquid. It's telling us there's going to be a financial accident or recession. When you get in, you can get out. The biggest problems that we're facing today is the problem of inflation. It's too big to ignore. In emerging market investing, what's comfortable is really profitable. My name's Stuart Foley. I'll be your host. Welcome back. It's so nice to have you and thanks for listening. Today's topic is a good one. It's residential debt, a diversified income stream to write home about, which I love the title. And we're joined by Eric Atlas, head of U.S. residential debt at Man Group. Actually, you're part of Man Global Private Markets. Eric, welcome. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking the time. Great to be here, Stuart. Thank you. We are thrilled. This is a great, I was actually talking about this asset class with a friend the other day. Very, very cool. And I, I want to get into it and I want to talk about, about man and, and everything that you're doing. But before we get going too far, where did you grow up? Um, what was your first job? Not the, not the fancy one. And uh, what makes insurance asset management so cool? Great questions. Uh, so I grew up in Wayland, Massachusetts, uh, a commuter town uh, around Boston, about 15 miles west, I believe. Uh, great place to grow up. Uh, my first job was in high school. Summers in between, in between grades, I worked at Linens and Things um, in the receiving department. So it was a 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. shift, kind of structured like an assembly line where the boxes were taken off the truck and then they were rolled down a conveyor belt. My job was to stand in the middle of the conveyor belt and slice open the top of the boxes with a knife and then pass them along to the people who unboxed. So, yeah, it was a great way to really to, to kind of working a job where you which you got your hands dirty and uh and learned you know that part of the the business world so that was cool. absolutely i used to do that at mcdonald's i i did the truck in the morning yeah would unload food right and it would be like frozen fries and frozen whatever and it just would come down like it seemed like an endless amount of uh, an endless supply of boxes people just hurling them down this chute because we were in the basement and so they would just fly down there and you just catch them and you know put them all away but I mean, it's it's not particularly glamorous, but it's an essential part of the program, right? I mean, that, if to get right. things the on the shelves, stop coming. <laughs> that's right. You, you hope, right? Absolutely. And what makes insurance asset management so cool? Yeah, I, I think something unique about um, um, here at Man Group, we manage capital for institutional clients, kind of across the the board, and today we manage for insurance clients as well. And I really think that's that's uh, it's more of a partnership. When you're working with um, with with insurers, kind of with with a common goal, so I think that's that's one. Um, and given the granularity of, of the asset class, too, working with with folks who are who have expertise um, in in kind of the real estate sector is something uh, we think is cool cool as well. Absolutely, and so Man has a couple of different areas. And your particular area is called MAN GPM, which stands for Global Private Markets. Can you talk a little bit about, and, and you, you are responsible for U.S. residential debt within that group, but can you give us a little bit of background on the group as a whole and what all you're up to? And then I want to get into this residential whole loan asset class that I think is really compelling. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so Man Group is a global investment manager with approximately 161 billion under management, and GPM, the global private market business, is surprise uh, the private market engine within um, within Man Group. 
So as you noted, I'm responsible for residential credit within GPM. Um, and looking at credit from, from man's perspective, we're a key pillar um, of a $25 billion credit um, credit offering and, and credit platform. So we've been in residential credit for, for over 10 years. Um, we've financed over 30,000 properties for an aggregate value of 20 billion. Um, and again, that's part of the broader kind of man credit platform. That's really helpful. And, and so there's been some talk about this asset class. Let's talk about the value proposition of why residential private credit is attractive, period, and then why, why in, for insurance companies. And there's some really interesting characteristics about this asset class that make it compelling. I mean, I, to me, very compelling. But what, give, us, give us a lay of the land there. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, so I think there's three things to to highlight that we can all keep in mind as we as we continue through the conversation. The first is the asset. What are the assets we're talking about? The second is specific to insurance companies, capital treatment for those assets and the ability to finance those at the insurance company level. And then the third is really how to structure those relationships with insurance companies, given the, the there are many benefits of granularity. Um, but it's been very important to kind of logistically structure these relationships where the administrative burden is placed on to me and my team um, as the as the asset manager, um, rather than on the insurance company side, given just the amount of line items in, in Resiland, which again provides the diversification, um, but also the challenge um, to make it as seamless as possible. So starting with the asset, we're, we're talking private market credit, and we'll get into that a little bit more later, um, I'm sure. Um, but there is a there's a pickup in in yield private market versus public market. And that's a trend we're seeing we're seeing across the board. Um, and when we're specifically talking about granular residential assets, you also get diversification to a healthy and through exposure to a healthy underlying fundamental housing market. So that is you know different than other parts of real estate, and we think a, a diversifier. Um, both within the asset type itself, but also in an insurer's um, in, in insurer's investment portfolio. So the second is the capital treatment, um, and whether it's a residential mortgage or a commercial mortgage backed by residential properties, the capital treatment is very attractive and something that has um, you know been a reason why insurers have been focused on this as of late. You know we're talking in the one to two percent range, depending on the the um, the type of asset. Once those assets are, are owned by the insurer, um, that then qualifies generally for federal home loan bank financing, um, which is a very attractive way to, to finance those, those positions. So some positives on the asset itself, and then the capital treatment and financing with those low capital charges are something that insurers are focused on as well. And the third is the, the, the structure. Um, and given the line items, the, the granularity of it, we have we have insurance clients today, um, but a big part of of that and what we think we're we're good at um, is structuring those relationships where you know the accounting burden and the asset management burden are on us as the investment manager, um, and we have teams you know uh, on the accounting side and on the asset management side that have been doing this for a long time and and it's their bread and butter, um, and we want to be able to provide that this this exposure to the asset class in an easy insurance friendly way, which, uh, which we think we've been able to achieve. And, and the asset class is something that insurance companies have owned for 
ever in a day, right? Uh, you know, they, they've just, they've owned them in different ways. But if, if, if I understand this right, so if, if I'm buying a straight mortgage pass-through, ag- agency pass-through, the underlying collateral in that security is essentially the same as if I'm holding that particular mortgage directly on my balance sheet. It just does not have the agency guarantee, right? But essentially, it's is it is it the same ultimate collateral a a, a mortgage on a residential home um, in the in the U.S. that meets underwriting standards and so on and so forth. And then, and then that line item actually resides. If I'm an insurance company, that actual line item resides on my balance sheet, right? Yeah. So, so um, all of what we're talking about and everything you just mentioned um, is exposure to us housing um, first lien exposure to, to us housing. And then there's, you know, the agency world and the non-agency world, um, which is where private markets um, are, are more focused. But at the end of the day, you have exposure to U.S. housing in a in a first lien position, um, and we're focused on the the you know senior exposure to those those um, assets as well. And and I don't want to put I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just want to kind of whenever if if I'm if I'm buying agency whatever, I'm getting haircuts all along the way, right? So if in from a private residential mortgage perspective my realized yield is going to be significantly higher for the same collateral. If that, is that a fair, is that a fair assessment of, of, of the exposure? Yeah. I think if, if we're talking about agency pastors themselves, obviously the, the credit is guaranteed by, by the government. And if you go to non-agency world um, there's, you know, the concept of, of credit risk. Uh, so because of that non-agency tends to generally speaking, offer wider yields to accommodate kind of the, the additional risk without the government uh, guaranteeing the, the credit of it. So that's where it really comes into play. You know, what is the underlying uh, housing market look like? Um, and what are we focused on as investors to have low, le- low leverage, higher yielding exposure to, to U.S. real estate? And, and given the breadth of, of, real, of residential investments at MAN, what are your thoughts on credit versus equity in today's environment? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So within the private market business, we have what we call the equity side of the house and the credit side of the house. The equity side of the house being single family rental from an institutional perspective. So buying portfolios and one-off houses, aggregating them together. Um, sometimes you put financing on those positions, depending on what the investor wants. Sometimes you don't. Um, but as a lot of folks listening probably know, you know, pre-COVID and certainly during COVID, um, you know, when housing was up so much, SFR and single-family rental was a very popular, let's say, uh, acronym, um, and rightfully so. Right? We were in a world where um, you could buy it, buy houses, and generate attractive cap rates or yields, and with rates being so low, the financing was very attractive on that as well. Um, so rightfully so, it was, a, it was an asset class um, that, that garnered interest um, and performed well for, for many investors. So flash forward to, and, and you know, here at MAN, that was something we were focused on uh, as well during that time period. Flash forward to inflation rearing its head, 
um, and rates moving off of zero to in, in the fives. Um, if you look at the housing market, we're actually above the peak now nationally from last year. Um, so housing is up this year. What that means, if you're an institution, you can't buy assets at a higher yield than you could have a year ago because the homeowner bid, which is 97% of the, the, the market, um, dominates it and they've been driving that up. So the yield you get on, on the equity side is similar, but what has happened is when inflation happened, rates happened, the cost to finance skyrocketed. So now we're in a place where, generally speaking, the cost to finance your single family rental may be higher than the yield that you're getting on the house itself. So there's dilutive financing. Um, so for that reason, some, some investors are slowing down and kind of waiting to look at what happens with rates, um, given that backdrop. But the reason, the exact reason why single family rental equity is challenging is the reason why we, we love credit. Because the house prices have been stable because the fundamentals are healthy, but our investments, you know, floating rate or short rate fixed, have moved with those with, with the rate move. So now credit is much yieldier. And if you have residential exposure, you have yieldier exposure to that healthy market. And and so can you talk a little bit about the general lending environment and the trends that you see in bank and private market lending? And I think it's a pretty well-covered story, right, where banks are pulling back and insurers in particular are filling that void, providing uh, capital in in ways that I, I think have, it's, it's a compelling, it's compelling because I, I feel like the ALM is more aligned with the insurers than, um, you know, than, than, than with the banks as it is. So what, what can you share with us about the general lending environment right now? Yeah, great question. So yeah, I think the backdrop is what you said. I think, you know, banks um, have continued to be in risk off mode with certain types of lending um, and the private markets you know, often partnering with with insurance um, is is really filling that void. Um, so high level, I think that means when something moves to public to private, there there could be an additional yield pickup um, there um, with what we think is still still a safe uh, risk profile to those assets. So why are banks retreating? Um, we had the regional bank failure last year. Um, capital requirements are are increasing. Uh, Basel three. Um, kind of building on that post-GFC trend. We have higher interest rates and a flatter curve, deposit outflows. Um, and if you look at banks' existing portfolios, um, there's probably more risk there than there was um, a year or two ago. So all of that really has banks in a, in a risk-off mode from, from a lending pers uh, perspective. Um, where are they retreating? Um, they're retreating in, in spots where we're really focused. So you know, over the last year, we've we've really had access to to more more loans and even reverse inquiry for our loans than than we had prior to that. Whether that's in commercial real estate, um, non agency residential loans to different types of sponsors, consumer lending, et cetera, um, right? We're seeing that 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 shift over, and the punchline really is par private markets um, can offer more attractive returns um, at similar risk profiles potentially in exchange for, for illiquidity that may even match um, the liabilities that insurance companies have. 
so it's a it's a good match, um, and it's a yieldier match with the with the healthy underlying asset class. Yeah, it's very compelling. I mean, it you know with the capital charges, the, the ability to finance it qualifies for FHLB financing. Uh, there's a lot of good there. You know, there the private credit market has been has been very hot uh, for insurance companies, uh, and given that attractiveness, what are the characteristics of Resi Credit? in particular, which is your focus, what, what makes that stand out to you right now? Yeah. Uh, so I think there are two things to focus on. Historically, I think it's fair to say uh, insurers have been overweight, if you will, commercial real estate to residential real estate. You know, Some larger uh, groups have in-house teams that directly originate uh, commercial loans but really haven't had resi exposure in, in, in the same way. And certainly a trend we've been seeing the last five plus years is as insurers kind of look at that and want to diversify their, their exposure, U.S. housing being that, that, that exposure, um, they've, they've partnered with third parties um, like us, investment managers, who have that residential know-how in terms of selecting what assets to purchase and, and how to manage those assets. Um, so we're seeing a a, a shift, right, from from kind of purely commercial exposure to commercial exposure that it's underperformed versus resi, with some resi exposure there. And the question is, how, how do you do that? Um, and given it's it's different, and you know we're talking five hundred thousand dollar loans here, not you know fifty hundred five hundred. So it really does help to have uh, have you know experts as a partner to to give you that that exposure. And it's the you know it's real estate is such a large asset class all, all insurers should have exposure there um, and it's just you know, kind of that that balance of commercial versus versus resi um, and the trend there. Um, so while yields on paper you know tend to be higher on the credit side, whether it's resi, whether it's commercial, whether it's corporate, I think you can really look at and I mentioned this a few times before. Um, the the underlying fundamentals of the U.S. housing market are healthy, and that is different than what we see in commercial real estate. Um, and you know, depending on your view, potentially uh, corporate exposure as well. So, talking about the U.S. housing market for a second, I, I mentioned that we're we're up nationally on the year, and we're above the peak from from 20, uh, 2022. So there's let's talk about why why that is right. Mortgage rates um, actually are are sub seven now for the first time in in a while, down from their their prior peak in the eights. I think uh, you know a month or two ago, um, but rates are significantly higher. No no doubt about it. Um, from you know sub three percent, they're you know double a little bit more than double where they were. House prices have gone up, and housing is less affordable. It's less affordable to own a house than it was pretty much any time over the last thirty years. So you have that, which is pushing, uh, putting downward pressure on house prices. If that happens in a bubble, house prices should go down. But there's an equilibrium because of the lack of supply in the housing market. So depending on, on, on who you ask or, or what you read, there's about 6 million houses that we need to build in order to meet the existing demand for, for housing. So there's a historical lack of supply in the face of this worsened affordability, that's creating this equilibrium where our view on housing is that it's it's going to be flat to up in the near medium term. Um, I think that's the view of a lot of my uh, my colleagues out there. So 
you compare that to you know commercial real estate where it's really dominated by investors, right? Kind of over two thirds or institutions rather, over two thirds of um, multifamily even is is institutional, versus resi where it's driven by the the homeowner. Resi doesn't need to trade on 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 cap rate. Um, and you have 30-year mortgages where people are locked into that. So as long as the job market's healthy and people can um, pay their, their mortgage, there's no, no margin call that's going to put downward pressure on, on housing. Um, so it's really that, that to sum it up. It's, it's the lack of supply has been creating an equilibrium um, in this heightened unaffordability world. But you know, as, as we know now, um, inflation has been improving. Uh, mortgage rates are over 100 bips lower than than their peak, um, and if you look at the forward curve, uh, the the base case expectation is that that will continue next year, which will be good for volume and performance as well of Resi. So, it, does that pretty much sum up your outlook for 2024 as we're moving forward here? I mean, it's it's kind of the t- kind of toward the end of December, just to kind of timestamp this to yeah for for our listeners. Is there anything else on on twenty twenty four that you want to you want to add before we move move forward? Yeah, so I, I think it's going into twenty twenty four and even twenty twenty five. Our expectation is that the housing market will be range bound, flat to potentially up, and we've seen that you know that the the fundamentals perform well in the face of raising uh, inflation and rates because of the lack of supply, um, and we expect that to continue even as rates are projected to go down. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you've you've had that that supply chain shock out of out of COVID that really boosted the cost of building materials. And you know, I know in our, even in our own neighborhood, right, one of our neighbors, you know, had to downsize the the uh, the size of their house because it you know the, the the cost of what they designed they couldn't they couldn't afford to build, right. So I think you're you're the way that you're stitching that together makes makes sense at least from from my experience. So when, when you look at residential credit fitting into an insurance company portfolio, how does your team help with that and provide value? We, we know that the, we know that there can be, there's, there are a a fairly significant number of line items in this asset class. And, and, and you had mentioned earlier that, that the onus for that accounting and, and administration really resides with with you and your team. Can you talk a little bit about how you're working with insurance companies and and making these allocations? Because as, as we've touched on, the, the capital treatment and the financing possibilities make it very compelling, as does the as does the yield, the st- the outright yield. So um talk us through some of the pain points there. Yeah. So I think it's um you know from an insurer's perspective, um you you wanted on your on your balance sheet to be able to get that capital treatment and access the the home loan bank financing we we talked about, but there are there are a couple of different ways to do that, um, and I think the two kind of most important reasons to do that one is the asset management side, you know when something goes goes wrong with with a loan, and in gra- in granular residential space you know loans go delinquent and you how do how do you deal with that, um, so right the owner should be on myself and my team, the asset management team to resolve those issues that are all part of our underwriting and normal course, um, not the insurer. And then there's the accounting of of that asset class, which may be something new from a real estate perspective. And the focus has been on 
100 200 you know plus million dollar loans um so it's it's how to how do you structure the relationship such that asset management and the accounting as much of that as possible is handled by the investment manager um and so there are structures where you can purchase assets directly onto insurance insurance balance sheets um there are trust structures that you can use with with um reference lines there's also the world of rating so there there's a there's a handful of different ways that that this has been done and you know with our insurance clients we've spent a lot of time on on digging in there and coming up with the with the best solutions for for our insurance partners so just to get a little bit more granular um what types of residential credit investments are you currently focused on yeah great question let's let's dig in there a bit so you you mentioned um Kind of as a as a comp thinking about agency mortgages and and pass throughs um, where credits backed by the government um, and there's really not that much additional yield pickup versus risk free rate on a lot of those products. So what we view as as our goal is to provide solutions to insurers where there is a yield pickup where we underwrite a potential yield pickup from our residential exposure compared to those those agency mortgages and and the return there. So. We like to focus on areas of residential credit with high barriers to entry um, that are structurally senior with low attachment points, but are in more fragmented parts of the of the mortgage space. So an example of that and something we've been spending a lot of time on recently um, is a focus on loans that finance property investors, whether it's for a renovation or for a rental property, financing those those loans. Um, which again is the same, you have the same you know, exposure in terms of US housing, um, but now you have a professional property investor either renovating or holding and, and lending that, um, or holding and, and renting that property out. Um, so you kind of have that, that commercial aspect. So these types of loans are actually structures, commercial loans with residential collateral. So there's a business, pers- per, uh, business purpose affidavit that goes with that. Um, and that, you know, they, correspondingly, it goes into um, CM2 um, if it's below a certain LTV threshold, given it's commercial backed by residential. But that's an area where, where we're seeing, you know, delinquency uh, remaining historically low um, and really a, a spread pickup um, and return pickup through our underwriting compared to kind of more generic mortgages. So it's senior first lien exposure to U.S. housing focused on fragmented market that provides that that additional yield pickup, but you still get similar um, capital treatment and federal home loan bank financing on on the back end. That's really helpful. Uh, and and as I mentioned, I think I'm just one person's opinion, but but compelling. So I've learned a lot about this today, and I really appreciate it. If if you could give us two or three takeaways that um our audience should be should take with them when they when they stop listening to this podcast what would what would those three be yeah i'd probably circle back to the three uh we 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 started with to to come full circle here um i think the asset it's differentiated in a granular source of income with attractive returns and exposure to a healthy underlying market so healthy market we're underwriting an additional yield pickup um, versus other types of of resi and other types of real estate. Two is the attractive capital treatment of those assets and the inexpensive home, federal home loan bank financing um, that you're afforded when you have exposure to these assets as an insurer. 
And then C is given A and B is an attractive um, opportunity for insurers. How can we partner with insurers best to structure a relationship where the management and accounting is on the investment manager? Um, so it's create a seamless way for insurers to get exposure to that pickup and yield and diversification with the capital treatment and financing options. It's thanks so much. It's a great wrap. Um, I got a fun one for you out the door. If you're interested, I, I typically put some optionality on this, but I kind of want to just get to it. If you could have lunch with anybody alive or dead, who would it be? <laughs> Oh, wow. that's a good one, right? Yeah. Is there anybody, are you a sports guy? Yeah. Anybody there that you'd want to grab lunch with? Bro, I'd Belichick there, but I don't know how well that's going to go over these days. <laughs> wow. Okay. There you go. That would be a fun lunch, especially right now, right? Yeah. 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 Should we do are that? You, obviously you're a Pats fan. So yeah. did you grow up a Pats fan? I did. Yeah. I, I grew up a Pats fan. That's awesome. I didn't a, appreciate I didn't appreciate the level of competitiveness if that's a if that's the right word between Boston and New York until I moved to Connecticut. And like I just didn't appreciate like how it is it is far more intense than any other sports rivalry outside of the Northeast Corridor. It, it at least in my opinion. I don't know. I may be wrong, but Oh yeah, for for um, sure. There's there's definite Boston New York intensity that that we all love. When you're at those games too, the percentage of, you know, passive versus active fans is unlike anything I've ever seen. Um so make makes it uh makes it ever the more enjoyable. Hopefully the uh the Patriots can can compete in the coming years. I guess the same can be said for the Jets. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's good stuff. Now, I've learned a lot today. I really appreciate you being on. We've been joined today by Eric Atlas, head of U.S. residential debt at Man Global Private Markets, otherwise known as GPM, which is part of the Man Group. Eric, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for being on. Thanks so much, Stuart. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you have ideas for podcasts, please shoot me a note at podcast at insuranceaum.com. Please rate us, like us, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. Mm-hmm.